The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. What's your name, son? Han. Han? Han what? Who are your people? I don't have anyone. I'm alone. Han. Dark Times Podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Imperial recruiter. And I'm Steven, your favorite Corellian nerf herder. There you go. Yeah, I think you've used that one before explicitly. Probably have. You could be a white worm today. Corellian street rat. There you go. Scrum rat, I believe. Scum, is the term. Scrum rat. Scrum rat. Nice. Yeah. Sam, we're back. This is what I, I like to call this one the one without Rodney Thompson. That's that's a good episode name, I think. And they'll, they'll see in a minute while. Well, let's tell them why, Steven. Might as well, right? Let's just jump right into it. There's nothing to go over, I don't think. That's true. No, we, we don't really have any feedback to go over. Although, you know, you know there is some email sitting there. But we're going over comments today. We are specifically looking at the comments left for Rodney Thompson about a month ago, about four weeks to the day almost where we asked you guys for what questions would you ask Rodney if you had the chance to. We advertised the interview first then. Now we're taking a look back at that, delving back into those mechanical questions that I'm going to level with you guys. So here, my, my, my hand is on your, your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, right my now. hand's yeah. on your other shoulder. Yeah, buddy, Rodney doesn't care about, about rules or mechanics questions, okay? Like, he does, right? Don't get me wrong. He doesn't, you've, you heard the interview. He doesn't have spiteful feelings about the, <laughs> about the game or anything. But it hasn't been his job to care for that in in like 10 years yeah a little bit longer i think and we think we've got his blessing to yeah, go he, I, i'm sure we do <laughs> to yeah, go over I mean, these things yeah you know we're, so so we decided i picked three big questions from those that were good questions but not rodney questions uh, and we're gonna see if we can tackle them today first one is about rules for vehicle creation reddit user jason veritech says it would be nice to get his that's rodney's opinion not ruling, mind you, on the best way to approach non-Starship vehicle creation and whether a modified version of the Starship creation rules per Starships of the Galaxy or something closer to crafting per the Force Unleashed campaign guide or an entirely different third option. So I, I've seen this thrown around in several circles before, a lot of like on wiki discussion and, and stuff beyond that other Reddit posts. We have a pretty good tool set for making starships in Swissy already via the starship designer feat rules, which you're familiar with, Sam. I mean, we've got we've got a party member that uses starship designer. We've kind of retooled his abilities to kind of better fit our starfighter campaign. Yeah, a little fast and loose, but still the same same at core. You get the gist. You can throw together a stock starship and depending on its size and complexity, it takes oh so many months to complete and oh so many tens of thousands of credits. It's pretty good. You can't make a starship as good as, like, say, Incom Corp or Sinar Fleet Systems, but that's the idea. You're a particularly skilled individual in your garage. You're not a galaxy-spanning megacorp, <laughs> kind of like we talked about with weapon attachments last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You have limitations, even though you're a hero. You can duct tape an ion cannon to a TIE fighter, but you can't... Uh you can't make it faster than the speed of light at some Exactly. <laughs> if it was possible for one individual to be competitive with these massive spacefaring vessel manufacturers, then they probably wouldn't be massive corporate spacefaring vessel manufacturers. But that's besides the point. Why don't we have vehicle building rules? Well, I'm going to disappoint a few of you. I know a lot of people know my reputation. I'm sure many people were thinking I'm about to detail this really cool, really easy to use, make your own vehicle system for Saga Edition. 
And dear listener, I'm here to tell you that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to instead ask a question to answer this question. Why do you want vehicle customization in Saga Edition? Why do you want a make-your-own-vehicle rules? Just about every vehicle to appear in any Star Wars media has a Swissy stat block, even some shit I ain't never even heard of before. <laughs> Across, you know, almost a dozen source books, there's a lot of vehicles in here. There's tracked vehicles in here. The only vehicle I haven't found in, in like, official Swissy stat blocks is, like, a boat. Like, just a regular-ass <laughs> boat, which we do see in The Mandalorian, which I always like yeah. when a nice boat makes a sci-fi appearance. But usually, like, you get speeders, that's why. <laughs> exactly. You, your speeder can be a boat if you need a boat. Just throw it in some water and say it has a swim speed. Like, come on. There's no alternatives for making your own vehicles in Saga Edition. I'm not sure why you need it. I already said every meaningful Star Wars vehicle is in Saga Edition. And if you can't bend or reflavor or kind of kit bash those into what you're looking for, then I don't know what to tell you. I think what you're trying to do might not be within the scope of the system. Uh, can you think of any instances, Sam, where this would happen? Um, I mean, the only thing I could think of would be like switching weapons out on vehicles, which you can already kind of do. Like, yeah, it's not a huge that's emplacement points and stuff like that. Yeah, you can kind of smack together the emplacement point system, drag that down and do that. And that would work. Just take, I don't know, a few thousand creds from your party. Call it good. It doesn't have to be this big codified thing. Like, I think if something like that wanted to happen, if the party was adamant about putting a railgun launcher on their stolen ATST. We could work that out. I don't need framework of rules to tell me how to do that. I don't think any Saga Edition game master who's paying attention does. I think you can whim that out pretty good. And Oh no, if you took a thousand more credits than what was mathematically fair, then big deal. They're, they're making a big ask, you know? There's a lot of uh, good hand waves and, you know, the GM Fiat takes many forms, Steven. <laughs> It does. It does. The GM Fiat comes in many colors and in many, many trim packages. You can get you don't have to get the leather seats on on every GM Fiat. It'll BP. get you where you need to go no matter what. Point A to point B and then to point C and then backwards again. That's what the GM Fiat's for. Beep, beep. <laughs> Look out for the new 2023 GM Fiat coming soon to a dealer near you. I want. No, I'm taking a moment here to say I think it'd be really cool to make like pins of like a, G, of a Star Wars like GM Fiat. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> That's like double copyright infringement, but I think yeah. we can worm our way around it. But yeah, bottom line, there's no CL guidelines for vehicle creation. Anything you attempt will probably be good, but it will also be a shot in the dark, which can work. Shots in the dark hit, you know? I mean, why, total concealment, that's only a minus five penalty to hit, right? You can make it. As long as you know where the enemy might be. Yeah, exactly. But from the outside, from someone who doesn't care to do this, someone who doesn't want to do this, this looks like board game masters trying to add a layer of complexity to the game that does not need it. There are many layers of complexity to Swissy as we explore in this podcast. You don't need vehicle creation. And if you think you do, please write in I'd love and to tell hear me why. Because yeah. I, I don't see it. Every vehicle, every Star Wars vehicle of notes in the system, everything can be kit bashed, reworked, reflavored. Doesn't matter. You don't need it. I don't think you do. You're making more work for yourself. Well, okay, that, that, that's... That was very well put, Stephen. Thank what you. I'll say. I appreciate that. I, I being a I because I'm only so passionate about that particular topic because I'm the game master that sits down and overthinks all this shit. That I'm totally the type of guy to get in a twist about making sure a custom vehicle is just right when 
it's not that players don't care. It's just that's not an obvious way of putting effort into your yeah. campaign running. You only have yeah. so much time to, until your next session. Try to put that in ways that are obvious to your players because those are the ones they appreciate the most. Just reskin something. Just reskin. Just reskin <laughs> please, please, please. Just, all these words just to say. Swap some weapons out. Reskin right, something. Come on. Like how custom does it need to be? Whether it's, you know, well, what did we talk about last week with the tank? How it has like a tracked movement yeah you could easily remove that and give it legs it if could, you wanted to repulse. there's rules for the different movement systems of yeah vehicles. exactly yeah, you can it can make it could be a walker if it had to be it could be a repulsor lift if it had to be come on well on to the next one reddit user zd yorak says it would be nice to get some clarification on how many actions vehicles and mass combat units get when they're not crewed by heroic characters good question Really? No, it's a genuine head scratcher. This is a part of the game where there's nothing there to hold your hand. Uh, when I first broke into like vehicle combats and, and mass combats, I was I, I was in a twist over this one, which is why I'm so happy you address it now, because there's some interesting lines of thinking that I think can guide you to the right answer, whatever that may be. We'll cover a few scenarios later on. But right now, let's just review crew positions. Reading from the book here. A character in a vehicle fills one of several possible roles, which determines what the character can do. A character can fill several roles at once, but most roles may only be filled by one character at a time. For example, an X-Wing pilot also acts as the vehicle's commander and gunner, while their astromech droid usually acts as the co-pilot, system operator, and engineer. On the other hand, an Imperial 1-class Star Destroyer with thousands of crew members still only has one pilot, one commander, and so forth. You can change roles from round to round, but you can only start filling a particular role if no other crew member has filled that role since your last turn. Then the book lists the various roles. I'm not going to read them here. Everyone knows what they are. Pilot, co-pilot, systems operator, stuff like that. Now, here is the, 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 the part that's interesting and relevant. Other crew. Other crew members can fill many supporting roles, coordinating troops or star fighters, administering medical care, guarding sensitive areas, and providing general maintenance. These crew members can assist others in some skill checks. For example, the members of a repair team may assist the engineer in their duties on capital ships. Oh, okay. Best as I know, that is all the game has to say about crew positions. Because, obviously, there's, what, six crew positions? Many ships have crews, like, upwards of ten or more, twenty. Some have crews in the tens of thousands, in, like, the example of a Star Destroyer. What do we do about all that? So... Based on what we just read, based on the examples given, it appears that NPC-controlled ships do have crew positions and are possibly meant to run with a full suite of actions from each member of that crew. Vehicle combat gives us two options to consider when determining initiative order. This is very important. So you can do one of the following. First, each character can make separate initiative checks. This is probably the best method if most or all characters are aboard the same vehicle, but it can result in a lot of delayed or readied actions as passengers wait for pilots to perform maneuvers. Sounds reasonable. An alternative is to make the initiative check for each vehicle using the pilot's initiative modifier. This is particularly appropriate when characters are in separate vehicles since it allows everyone aboard the same vehicle to act more or less simultaneously. At my table... It's far simpler to use the latter option. Every vehicle has their own initiative role by the pilot, and then vehicles with multiple crew members decide what order their actions resolve on their turn. In my view, there's no need to worry about delaying or readying actions. Just let your players figure out what order the actions go in. And Sam, you've done this plenty of times at our table. It, it works pretty well. There's oh, yeah. no, no reason to figure out who's going first when you're all in the same tank or all in the same freighter. It's one of those things where 
deciding the order or going over like, oh, well, my dex bonus is higher, so I should go first. Like, that just breaks up combat in a way that's not fun. Exactly. It stalls the game. And look, we've all seen the movies. We've all seen the shows. When the heroes are together on a ship, they aren't bickering about who gets to pull what lever first. It's, you know, Chewie and Leia are in the the pilot and co-pilot seat while Han and Luke grab the guns. And everyone performs their actions and duties in the way that's most efficient or makes the most sense for the encounter. That's we just we just do that. It's not that hard. It doesn't need to be thought of in a very complex way. Yeah. Nice GMing kid. Don't get cocky. (laughs) Now, to bring it back, do we extend this to NPC ships? How do NPC ships fit into this initiative order? If there is a Nebulon B frigate on the initiative track, do all the thousands of members of that crew, are they all on the same initiative order? Giving NPC crew vehicles one set of actions gives the party an absolute advantage. What I mean by that is that, say, for that same Nebulon B frigate, let's forget that there's thousands of souls on board. Let's just say that that Nebulon B frigate has a move, a standard, and a swift like any other enemy on the board, like any other TIE fighter, like any other Star Destroyer might have. Like I said, this is a good option because it's simple and it gives the party an absolute advantage over that enemy. And I say that's a good thing because the party of heroes probably shouldn't be bested by a random crew of nobodies. I mean, it happens, you know, crits are thrown out there, but no, you're laughing because you know I'm right. Yeah, no, I agree. They're called heroic characters for a reason. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that the party of heroes has a ludicrously good action economy compared to the average starship. Yes. That's kind of what it looks like when Han's flying around, right? I like the concept that like some sort of tourist freighter can like, well, they they got more actions than you guys, so they kick your ass. (laughs) Keep that in mind as I go down the list here. If you give your party this absolute advantage, you've just freed up the encounter to flood them with more diverse threats, more hazards, more skill challenges, more things that are going to make that encounter more memorable. Do you really want them to just get instantly dissolved upon their first contact with a (laughs) capital ship? Sure. But what's cooler than like diving in and out of cover, trying to get away from them, like setting up a good hyperspace vector, trying to get far away enough from the interdictor to fly like escape. Poe Dameron in episode was it episode seven where he's flying towards that. <laughs> they just fucking take him out. Yeah, immediately. Like, <laughs> what if the game master said that hypothetical scenario? Oh, because this Star Destroyer has a crew of tens of thousands, they get a plus 30 aid to hit Poe Dameron. <laughs> Bam, instantly dead. Would that made of a good movie? Is that a balanced encounter? <laughs> Do you know how insane would that have been? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and here we go. If NPC crews get one full set of actions for each crew member, where do we draw the line? TIE fighters, simple. It's a single man fighter. They get a move, standard, swift, no big deal. That's, that's, that figures. The rival bad guy party following in a VT-49 decimator? Actually, yeah, I think they all should get their own actions. At least the heroic ones. At least the heroic ones. Say maybe there's three or six or seven or five bad guys on that ship working together to take out the party. Maybe it's a team of bounty hunters. Maybe it's a specialized Imperial squad. Maybe it's maybe it's an Inquisitor with a, a squad of stormtroopers. Wouldn't you want them to use move object at starship scale? I would personally. Yes, you're completely <laughs> right. This is a good time to bring in the yes. Every NPC gets a full suite of actions in this crewed ship. Because it would make a good challenge. There's a bunch of bunch of aids being thrown around. 
crazy checks, shields recharging. Players hate when shields on the enemy <laughs> ship recharge. Yeah. Let me tell you. It's so it feels unfair. Exactly. <laughs> but it's how you know that shit's getting real. This presents a greater challenge and communicates a greater, more coordinated threat to your players. When those shields come back up, when that mechanics check brings the ship back up on the condition track, that's how your players know, oh shit, this is an enemy that can heal. And in TTRPGs, <laughs> that's hard. That's fucking hard. All right. Let's try another scenario. You're sitting at your table. Your friends are having a blast. You're behind the GM screen. You interrupt their reverie to say, wait, guys. It's the Star Destroyer's turn. <laughs> the lighting in the room turns red. Ooze starts dripping from the walls. Nothing but screams and sobbing is heard as you take the whole night describing the actions of tens of thousands of crew members in agonizing detail. They just want their turn, but no, there's 9,000 crew members left, and it's midnight, and you're tired, and they're tired, but you can't stop. You've got to give a full round of actions to every crew member on this vehicle. <laughs> There's no point in that. Obviously, I don't think anyone's doing that, by the way. Like, I'm def I'm definitely creating a straw man here. I don't think anyone <laughs> is actually doing that. If anyone did do that to you, I'm so sorry. If you did that to someone else, I want you to stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> no, please. If you've please got that go. RPG horror story, we want to hear it. Yes, please. But yeah, that was obviously a bit of a joke. I'm yanking your leg. No one's out there running full actions for a Star Destroyer, but... This hypothetical kind of elucidates where I'm going with all of this. In all seriousness, once you're running full turns for crews that outnumber your party, you are officially, officially taking the spotlight away from your players. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. I almost said sessions. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it a couple episodes ago, like, oh, as a game master, sometimes you feel like you're taking the spotlight away from your players when you're just moving imaginary stormtroopers around in your head. That's probably not true. When you are taking time away from your players is when you decide to simulate the crew of an entire ship that's bigger than your party. <laughs> why, ask yourself why you want to do that. Do you want to give a plus 10, plus 20, plus 38 action to the gunner of that ship? Do you, are you going for some sort of weird simulation style of game mastering? This is not the, the, the system for that, by the way. You should go to Gerpstown. That's you. <laughs> Welcome to Gerpstown. Yeah. Population. <laughs> Population four. <laughs> uh, are, are you doing it for realism? Is that realism to sit on your ass at the table while the game master runs all these turns for people that aren't even on the board? That aren't even real? <laughs> that aren't players? That's my thoughts on it. If you really want to do that, make macros. Make macros. Seriously. There's, yeah. a, there's a whole fucking macro world out there just Make for macros you. to crunch out the plus two dozen aid bonuses that all these thousands of crew members are giving to the gunner. That might give to the gunner, Steven, because remember, if they're a generic <laughs> crew, then their their stats are kind of garbage. <laughs> They've only got like maybe a 50% chance of actually giving an aid. <laughs> when it comes to vehicle combat especially, but also Saga Edition in general, the rule is KISS. K-I-S-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. This was practically the slogan of our of our ancestor podcast, Order 66. This was allegedly the design philosophy Rodney had when he made the vehicle stat blocks. The vehicle stat blocks, from his own words, paraphrasing from about a decade ago, he just wanted all the info for a game master to dump some TIE fighters on the field, to dump a Star Destroyer on the field. That was why he designed the 
starship stat boxes the way they are. They're meant to be ripped out and ran by a game master immediately. That does create a challenge when we calculate stats for the party ship, but usually you only have to do that once anyway. So you, you take care of that and it's done. But yes, that vehicle stat block, as you see it with those bonuses and those defenses, that's the threat. That is the enemy. I don't really recommend thinking too hard about it. I know that might hurt for some of you more meticulous minds out there. I'm with you. I feel it. It's painful to not have details all the time. I assure you, the vehicle stat block at face value is the vehicle. You don't need to do anything else. Have have a good time. Thank you, and good night. Make sure your players are having a good time. Make sure your players are having a good time, too, because if you're sitting there... Listen, if they're all getting off to you running... (laughs) <laughs> tens of crew members turns then yes keep, keep it up but and now it's tk 2136s turn and he's rethinking his career choices yeah. uh, <laughs> he's going to try and aid two all right now it's tk 2137s turn <laughs> he had a good poop this morning yeah. so he gets a plus two to this <laughs> he's had a, he woke up on the right side of the bed today amazing great and then we've got one more question from this list that I that I picked out that I plucked from the tree. This one is from Reddit user Merc1 says, I believe this is an old time Swissy head. I've seen this name around quite a bit. Reddit user U slash Merc1 reached out on that thread and had a question about Master Manipulator. First, I'm just going to read the talent because its text is important to the question. And then we'll just get into the, the questions that Merc had about it. Does that sound good, Sam? Yeah. Which Master Manipulator is this? Oh, glad you asked because... I forgot this is one of the talents that has shares a name with two talents across two different books. This is the Unknown Regions okay. Master Manipulator, the Crime Lord uh, talent. When you make a successful persuasion check, you can immediately make a second persuasion check against the same target, even if it is not normally allowed. The second persuasion check need not be for the same use of the persuasion skill as the first. For example, if you successfully change attitude of the target, you can immediately attempt to change attitude a second time or you can attempt to intimidate the target instead. Pretty pretty sweet, right? Like, come on. Yeah. Merc 1 says, So if I make a successful persuasion check, you can immediately make a second persuasion check against the same target? As there is no statement of once per turn, if I make the second check, can I keep going for as long as I make the checks? Um, Merc, we're going to put a pin in this part of your question. I'm actually going to answer this first part of your question last, because I think it's, there's an important point here that we should cover. Moving on. Merck continues, how is this supposed to work with other talents that require a persuasion check? Adept negotiator, for example. Can I punch someone down the condition track more than once in a turn with this combination? Well, Merck, you asked and I looked. Adept negotiator says, make a persuasion check. So yes, that would work. And any other abilities that say make a persuasion check would work too. Now, Sam, let's take a step back and see where we're at here. Master manipulator with adept negotiator, two very powerful talents. You're knocking a guy down the condition track potentially twice, assuming you get two successful persuasion checks off here. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad at all. Not a whole lot of abilities where you can do that. We'll get into this. (laughs) There will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. (laughs) Merc 1 continues again. What about combining Master Manipulator with the feat Maniacal Charge? This feat lets you intimidate everyone that you pass by as a free action with a persuasion check. This could be a lot of persuasion checks when combined. Mark, I think you're right. Let's read Maniacal Charge. This is another classic. When using the charge action, you can make a persuasion check as a free action to intimidate your target and each enemy you pass within one square of. When your check succeeds an enemy you pass, it cannot make a tax opportunity against you. 
When your check succeeds against your target, it loses its dex bonus and is considered flat-footed until the start of your next turn. You cannot use this feat with the Intimidator feat. Sam, I don't know your thoughts, but it appears to me that Master Manipulator does work with Maniacal Charge. Yeah. It creates a delightfully flavorful enemy in my mind Delightfully as well. devilish. Yes, delightfully devilish indeed. I actually had like a minor antagonist I want to throw at you guys that I haven't built yet, but I think I know. I like this idea. I, I, like, I like this combo a lot. That, that is a potent but costly combination. Talking Master Manipulator and Maniacal Charge, that's two feats and three talents required right there. Two of which are a prestige class. I think it's actually three talents if you throw in Adept Negotiator is probably what I meant there. Very fitting for a late game character, but not without his cost. This is a crazy combo. Yeah. But like you're paying the levels to get there. Like this, this doesn't feel overpowered. I've seen crazier stuff at lower levels. So let's circle back to your first question, my friend. Can I keep going as long as I make the checks? D- what you're asking, just so I'm clear, Merc One, does that second success for master manipulator count as a first success for an additional trigger of master manipulator as you say there is no statement of once per turn merc can i can i give you my piece before please, you please i know step you in. i know your feelings on this step in please but if we're looking at what it says it says you can make a second persuasion check i don't think it says you can make a third if you're making a second persuasion check already it definitely doesn't and merc you know i don't i don't know who you are but i respect you and that's what's most important what I'm about to say, <laughs> this is a bad faith question. You know the answer to can I just infinitely make persuasion checks on my turn, but that doesn't say I can't. Merc, 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 merc. <laughs> let's, let's drop another scenario at the table. You're sitting there, your fellow players smiling, laughing, eating snacks, having a grand old time. Initiative tracker comes around. It's your turn. You roll a successful persuasion check. Congratulations, you've turned the tide of the encounter. You activate your cool new talent that you just got and score another success. You tell everyone how cool Master Manipulator is. They're all looking it up on their phones on the Swissy Wiki. They, wow, they can't believe it. Two persuasion checks at once. That's amazing. (laughs) The room falls silent as an evil grin spreads across your face. Your GM notices and looks you in the eye. You say, actually... I get infinite persuasion checks because the book doesn't say I don't. (laughs) The room falls silent with nothing but the sound of dice dropping to the floor. Your friends look at you in horror. The GM is sobbing. You have become that guy. Right. That guy. (laughs) (laughs) My game master, is he upset with me? It seems in your <laughs> in your munchkining, <laughs> you killed him. No, <laughs> Merck. I'm sure you haven't done this, and I'm sure 99 percent of the people listening haven't done this. But this is just another hypothetical to elucidate why this is a bad idea to insist that anything at all gives you infinite of anything at all. Now, Sue, I know you're listening. I know you allegedly have an infinite attack build or something out there. This applies to that, too. If it looks like an exploit, if it sounds like an exploit, if it walks like an exploit, well, it's probably a duck. (laughs) I'm serious. This is the exact kind of questioning that every game master hates. And if you don't hate it yet as a game master, you haven't played enough with these people and you should squelch it immediately. They know. Everyone knows. When something's too good to be true. 
and a single talent giving you infinite persuasion checks. That's too good to be true. It's raw versus rye. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Raw meat versus rye bread, Stephen. <laughs> Ooh, I had just had a bunch of German food yesterday. Mm. That was that was good. Yes, you're completely right. This is one of those times where rules is written. Sure, it could have been worded a little bit off mic. You mentioned if they brought in some action economy verbiage here or even just threw on once per turn, that would remove any alleged ambiguity with this talent. <laughs> this is not an ambiguous talent. It's not ambiguous. Everyone knows exactly when this talent should be used and every other talent like it. All it needs to say is this talent cannot trigger off of itself. That's all it needs to say. Which they probably didn't put because they probably didn't think that anyone it's so would, obvious. Yeah, they probably <laughs> thought it was obvious enough that this one talent in the back of the unknown region source book doesn't give you infinite persuasion checks. <laughs> is it a powerful talent? Absolutely. The combination with master manipulator and adept negotiator. That's dangerous. That all is, right. Go ahead. With Maniacal Charge, you're charging past enemies, you're doing an Adept Negotiator on all of them, that's five enemies, you know, as many as it is, yeah. down the condition track by one step, that's insane. Ridiculous, and cool, and not an orthodox way of playing Saga Edition. Either that whole, everything you just, just described, doesn't require a weapon to be equipped. That's fucking cool. That's your Noble build right there. There's your Noble. You say Nobles are weak? Well, watch out. <laughs> Tears you down in the condition track with only his words. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I've probably written this a bit too long and a bit too hard. But that's how I feel about Master Manipulator and the questions posed about it. Thank you all. <laughs> and thank you so much, Stephen, for the <laughs> delving into the podcast minds once again. Oh, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm the fucking mind, podcast minds foreman. <laughs> Um, and, and that makes me and then that makes me the little time clock gonk droid of the podcast minds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the time clock gonk droid. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times podcast. Steven, and I just want to say that every you know, it's the part of the show where we say that stuff. Yeah, this is this is the part of the show where we say that. This stuff. is the mushy emotional part of the show where we aren't afraid to show emotion. <laughs> yeah, we don't show emotion in any other part of the show. <laughs> Shout out to St. Kelp and Ezekiel, our two newest $10 patrons. You guys are longtime listeners of the show. I know those names. Thank you both so much for your contribution to the show. This goes straight to hosting the show, providing an occasional burrito for Sam, and also goes back into making some cool merch. Once St. Kelp and Ezekiel complete their third month of patronage, they will be welcome to walk up the podcast mountain, and when they descend, they will return with a t-shirt. And a sticker. <laughs> and a sticker. <laughs> The journey of a thousand podcast merch begins with a single patron. Sam, the Patreon brings in $88 a month now. As of time of recording. As of time of recording. I'm baffled. Baffled. When we had $10 a month coming in, I was like, oh my God. When we were self-sufficient with the hosting costs, I was like, oh my God. This stuff? Incredible. Thank you both. Thank you all to all of our patrons. If you're considering becoming a patron... Hit that link in the description below. Hit that bell. No, there's no bell. <laughs> Hit the support the show link in the description. Support the show link in the description. All we need is a thousand more dollars a month for Steven to live off podcasting. That's true. Do you want me to do this <laughs> professionally? I don't, but Steven needs a thousand. You pay me too, I'll I only need 600. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a combined $1,600 a month would make us open those wallets, guys. We No, that's not that's what we're so here for. Funny. This is not a career. Obviously, not I mean, yet. If you not yet, I mean. <laughs> 
But if you listen, listen, the more we get, the more likely we'll do those commentary tracks you've been dying to do with me. I really I want to do those soon. We'll do them. Like while I'm still between jobs, I like want to <laughs> for sure, for want sure. to do those. And you know, we well, Stephen and I in the talks our one year anniversary is coming up. Maybe we'll have like a milestone if we reach a certain amount on the Patreon. Ooh. We'll do a special Patreon exclusive episode or something Ooh. like that. Not like a normal episode, but something I've been thinking it's about. A little, a little saucy. Brewing something up in the brain. A little sexy. A little no, not not that not, not that. Not that kind of Patreon, buddy. <laughs> Definitely not. Though if you want it to be <laughs> Let us know. Uh, no. Join our clonely fans. Our clonely <laughs> fans. Come on. No. And hey, we get it. Money's tight. I hate asking people for money. It, it sucks. If you want to support the show without giving us money, that's perfectly great, too. A lot of people hyperlink our show, like in responses to others about the game. I, that blows my mind. They're like, Absolutely. oh, hey, the Dark Times guys really covered this question you're asking really well. Here's the episode. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, you can leave us a review. Give us five stars on Spotify or however many stars you think we deserve. Write us a review on iTunes. Yeah, review us. Podcasts. I think it's called Apple Podcasts now. But Let still. us know. We'll shout you out. We we love to thank people for doing that. And the reviews really bless my fucking heart, dude. Oh, they're so kind. <laughs> they are. They're very nice. They're very, very nice. Uh, and just, you know, tell your friends. Tell your table mates. Tell, tell the whole wide world. Tell your homeroom teacher. Tell your parents. Tell tell your college professor. You got someone in the Star Wars who might be in the tabletop game? Send them our way. You uh, you want to make something really awkward for the person also waiting for the bus on the bench next to you? Just, <laughs> just start talking to them about the podcast, unprompted. I'm listening to this podcast right now. It's called The Dark Times. What? Yeah. Are you, are you talking? You're talking to me. The Dark Times. It's called The Dark Times. It's called The Dark Times podcast. I'm a podcast, and my name's The Dark Times. <laughs> Uh, I think I think that's all we got. Right? <laughs> Let's get you guys back to the show. I'm glad we left the laughs in the break part of the show of the episode. <laughs> Amazing. Steven, the time has come. Oh, you have something you want to say? Oh, no, I was just, just only what you're about to say. It really is is all. <laughs> the time has come. We've made the jump to light speed. We're rendezvousing with these ace pilots for this bounty. Oh, uh, very good. Uh, we will soon turn them into the empire for a handsome sum. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's the whole premise behind the bounties, right? That you and I just take the profits. Yeah, we just take the profit. <laughs> we, we take the, the listeners do the work. We take the profits. It's all good. <laughs> well, let's get into it. What's our first build for the build show? Our first build submitted by Iro. Oh, very good. Bearing club, Amon Calamari scout one, scoundrel five, noble one, ace pilot three. There will always be a place in my heart for Mon Calamari. Absolutely. And my and my stomach. And my stomach. <laughs> Bearing is like a getaway driver, but at starship scale. Oh. It's kind of the idea I got from this build. That's from reading cool. it. Super nice. This is from Iroh himself. Bearing Club isn't the best pilot in the galaxy. He lacks focus. Everyone he's ever met eventually says, you could be the best, but you have to train. Focus yourself. Maybe it's true that you're the luckiest being in the whole galaxy, but it won't last. Baring doesn't have a ship of choice, but he once flew a Gazanti cruiser up to 30 squares in one round. Oh, shit. How? Well, here's a breakdown courtesy of Iroh. Standard action, he spends a force point to activate Fool's Luck, giving him plus five to skill checks for the rest of the encounter. With a swift action, he increases a vehicle speed and takes 10, equaling a 28 on the pilot skill, plus two squares to movement, and move action. Go ahead and just move three squares. Get out of any combat situation you're in right now. For sure. The second round uses a free action to activate the done-it-all talent from the Master of Intrigue talent tree, giving him access to the, both the hyper-driven and deep space gambit talents until the end of his next turn. The hyper-driven talent, Steven, works based on your class level. Would you apply the scoundrel class level Ace pilot class level or noble class level for this? 
Considering it's a talent from the scoundrel and ace pilot talent trees. Shoot. But he's taking it with the uh, galaxy of intrigue, the master of intrigue talent. Oh, God. Master of intrigue is what? Noble? Noble, yeah. <sighs> I, I, you know, I'd play that up to rule a cool GM Fiat. You know? Yeah, it seems like. Bearing's doing something really cool here, so I'd give him the maximum bonus possible. I think that'd be the scoundrel class yeah, level. Uh, yes, it is. Iroh Iro petitioned for both combined together. I don't know about that. I don't know <laughs> about that. Um, if I was to do this like strict like rules as written, I'd probably say the noble class level, that plus one. <laughs> that plus one. But I want to see where this is going, so I'm going to say scoundrel class level. For sure, for sure. With a swift action to increase vehicle speed whilst taking 10 or using knack to try and get a max roll to increase vehicle speed up to, I think, another plus six Got max. Got isn't that crazy? It and then the round three, by using all-out movement with the full throttle talent, means that all-out movement is five times the speed instead of four times. So wow. potentially up to thirty squares, anywhere from twenty to thirty, depending on how you rule the <laughs> the hyper-driven talents in that context. Fast, fast guy. Thank you so much, Iro, for laying this out for us. It's going to yes. be included in the description as well as everyone else's emails and build. Breakdown makes our job so much easier if you happen to break down the whole gimmick for us. And, and it helps inspire text. anyone watching or anyone listening, rather. Not everyone can get your gist from a few talents. Obviously, we can't. Yeah, but hours of pouring over it, yeah. we can, yeah. <laughs> our next submission is from Nate Champion Corn. This is CT22621 Spark, a near-human Soldier 7 Ace Pilot 3. Spark was a defective clone, lucky enough to join the 104th Republic Battalion under Plo Koon. His inhibitor chip malfunctioned and led him to not betray the Jedi. However, he couldn't save Plo Koon. He swore to put down the rest of Plo's bros as revenge. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love this concept. Uh, Spark is an ambush-based build, which can be devastating at starship scale as well as character scale. Bring the Trap gives you and your allies a surprise round if you roll higher initiative checks than all your opponents. Ambush Specialist lets you treat the first round of combat as a surprise round in case you have any triggers that only happen during the surprise round. Additionally, you get to designate a target as a free action to be your prime target, giving you a plus two bonus to attacks against that target until the end of the encounter. The destructive ambusher talent from the same talent tree gives you a plus one die of damage against the prime target, whereas keep them reeling allows you to make an opposed initiative check against the prime target. And if you succeed, that target is flat footed against your attacks until the end of your turn. Pretty nice. I like that. As for piloting skills, Spark has the escort pilot talent from the wingman talent tree, which says, and I quote, when a vehicle that you are piloting is adjacent to a vehicle of colossal size or smaller that is piloted by an ally, both vehicles gain a plus 10 bonus to their damage threshold. That's pretty good, Steven. Inserting condition track can be devastating at starship scale as well. Seriously. Spark also has vehicle focused starfighters, which gives you a plus two to all attack rolls with any starfighters vehicle weapons and allows you to take 10 on any pilot check when piloting a starfighter, even when you are otherwise unable to. Did uh, Champion Corn give us his preferred vehicle? Uh, I think he has a couple uh, that I'm not going to share for uh, plot reasons in his campaign. Oh. But he's got a, a few in mind. The, one might be in the description. The other one's not going to be. Okay. I can't remember which is which at the moment, so I, I, we're just going to leave it up for now. I didn't realize we had a we had a plot spoilery uh, submission. Yes. That's fun. For his personal campaign. I'm very excited. Oh, and I see we, now. Because we, we both know that uh, Champion Corn 2.0 listens as well. Oh, that's right. I see I see his vehicles now, and I'm not going to read them out loud. No worries. Good choices. Great choices. Our next submission is from Suyoshu Ketsu, Grinta Fandanri, Fandaniri, rather, Duros Noble 7, Ace Pilot 3. Hey, the full Noble 7, Ace Pilot 3. Look at that. That's nice. That is nice. Squadron Maneuvers from the Squadron Leader Talent Tree allows Grinta to share a talent with her entire squad. 
particularly Master Defender, which makes fighting defensively in a vehicle less detrimental. They get a plus five dodge bonus in exchange for minus two on gunner attacks and plus 10 dodge bonus in exchange for minus five on gunner attacks. Ooh. That's super nice compared to the normal where I think it's where you, if your gunner takes no attacks, you get a plus 10. Yeah. With the misplaced loyalty talent, this allows her to make a persuasion check to avoid being targeted by enemies as long as she's within six squares of her allies. Friend or foe allows that as a reaction when an ally is missed by a ranged attack, she can designate one enemy adjacent to that ally, compare the attack roll of the missed attack to the reflex defense of that enemy. If the attack would hit, it does. The attack targets that enemy and is resolved as normal. As a Duros, Grinta also has an incredible pilot skill. Paired with the intercept starship maneuver, she can almost always pull an enemy into a dogfight, locking them in place. Her combination of skills and talents allows her entire squad to pick off an enemy with their own allies' attacks. Pretty incredible. It's a good build. That's a, that is a niche combination. Absolutely. And I like how Tsuyoshi Ketsu mentioned that this is like, hey, if not everyone's a pilot, you know, because we've talked about this before. Yeah. Sometimes you got to really like deep dive into piloting to be good at piloting. Of course. But with stuff like this where you can share your pilot talents with other members of your party, that's awesome. It makes the whole party good at piloting. Exactly. It's super incredible. Nice. Our next submission is from Vic Pekka. It's Vroomy, Ewok Scout 7, Ace Pilot 3. A friend of Wicket, Vroomy stole one of the Imperial Speeders and used his Polgaback riding skills to train this mechanical wonder. Becoming a Rebel Mobile Scout, Vroomy specialized in long-distance mounted recon. Any Imperial forces that saw this seemingly riderless speeder dubbed it the Speeder Ghost. Vroomy has a plus 14 ride skill with a reroll from the Expert Rider talent. Great when using the Mechanized Rider talent as well, allowing Vroomy to use some uses of the ride skill with a speeder or swoop bike, such as like using the mount as cover or controlling mountain combat, stuff like that. Nice. Juke allows Vroomy, when flying defensively, to get two uses of their vehicular combat feat. Improved stealth and hidden movement make Vroomy adept at stealthing while piloting their speeder as well. And our last submission from Ezekiel is Yub Yub. Believe it or not, Stephen, a second Ewok. Two Ewoks <laughs> in one build a showcase? A second Ewok pilot. The pilot build showcase got two Ewoks? Is Didn't we a... already have a stealth one? <laughs> yeah. It's a Scout 3, Scoundrel 5, Ace Pilot 2. Yub Yub's ship of choice is an X-Wing due to its affinity with the Rebellion. Yub Yub was experimented on by Imperials and seeks out revenge for their crimes against him. Nice. <laughs> I love this. I love the Ewok on a mission, like Taken style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yub Yub has evasion, allowing any area attack that doesn't hit him to miss entirely instead of doing half damage and half on a successful attack. Starship Raider gives Yub Yub a plus one bonus on attack rolls made while aboard a starship, including attacks made with starship weapons. Stellar Warrior from the same spacer talent tree gives Yub Yub a temporary force point whenever he rolls a net 20 on an attack roll made aboard a starship. Improved defenses and improved stealth make this Ewok a hard target even outside an X-Wing. Damn. Really, really great submissions this time around. Absolutely excellent submissions, you guys. Very impressed. Those are all going to be... We, we've kind of cut and highlighted a few things, but they're all going to be in their full in the description in a big old Google Drive folder. And all the patrons, new and upcoming, can get to vote in that uh, poll. Yes, absolutely. The poll will go up with this episode and it will be open until two Sundays after that poll opens. So you have until September 25th, 2022, to submit your <laughs> votes until 11.59 p.m. that night. That's 11.59 p.m. Pacific, the night of Sunday, September 25th. Oh, and you have to be in the five or ten dollar tiers to vote. Yes. Just 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 so we're clear. That way, Stephen and I don't have a hand in saying who wins and who doesn't. Exactly. We're here to showcase and, and inspire. Yeah. The patrons get to do the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, all right. I think I'll just scoot us on into our trivia. Oh, you fucking wish, huh? You fucking wish. <laughs> no, we actually, I have a... There it is. I've got a uh, an email, a last minute email. Oh, is this a user submitted name that NPC or I literally kill you? Yeah. From Zloy Krolik, our uh, good friend. Mr. Krolik. Hey, guys. I'm still hoping for an opening in the host department. Here's another one from the Clone Wars campaign guide. And then uh, I'm going to read out this stat block. All righty. Clone Wars campaign guide, as he said. Uh, the way this actually... <laughs> sorry, I've been, we've been kind of doing it weirdly recently. The way this game works, this little mini, mini game in the podcast, is Steven has three chances to guess what stat block I'm reading. And before each guess, he gets to ask a yes or no question. If he fails all three, then he will be killed on the spot, and I will be looking for a new host in the future. Maybe even Zoli Krolik. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. This is uh, Affiliations, the Kashyyyk Resistance, CL-12 Stat Block, Medium, Wookiee Scout 3, Soldier 4, Noble 5, Destiny Points 3, Force Point 6, Initiative plus 12, Perception plus 12, Languages, Basic, Understand Only, Dosh, Understand Only, and Shriwook, Reflex Defense 25, Fortitude Defense 26, Will Defense 25, Hit Points 102, Damage Threshold 26, Extraordinary Recuperation and Shake It Off. As for feats, armor proficiency, light and medium, charging fire, coordinated attack, double attack rifles, linguist, point blank shot, precise shot, rapid shot, take it off, skill focus, persuasion, skill training, knowledge bureaucracy, persuasion, and weapon focus, rifles, weapon proficiency, pistols and rifles, as well as simple weapons. Do you have a question, Stephen? Sorry, you look like you had a question. No, I, I think I have an answer. Is it Tarful? Holy shit, Steven, you didn't have a question for that. Yes, it's Tarful. <laughs> CL12 stat block. I know this character because I had the, um, I really wanted the, a Chewbacca action figure as a kid. My dad brought me home a Tarful <laughs> action figure. And I was like, all right, I guess this is close. I always remember the scene in Return of the Jedi too, because it's really funny to me for some reason. Order 66 happens. And Revenge you know, of the Sith. Oh, what did they say? You said Return of the Jedi. Oh God, yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Very funny scene to me for some reason. <laughs> Order 66 happens and Yoda's bummed about it and he has to get into his little pod to leave his little baby pod. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, goodbye, Tarful. Goodbye, Chewbacca. Chewbacca. And I'm like, <laughs> it was such like a turn to the camera moment. Like, hey, hey. Look at this. Yeah. Y'all we hear about a little guy named Chewbacca? Well, look we what were he's there. up to. We yeah. Were there. yeah, he knew Yoda. That's like Yoda holds up like a, like a newspaper that says... <laughs> the same date and Chewbacca's there too <laughs> wow it kind of sucks that Chewbacca didn't get to see Yoda's death huh like didn't meet him ever again <laughs> yeah it, it always, it's always funny to me Chewbacca was like yeah I met this little green Muppet once like that was fun what a fucking weirdo yeah. <laughs> well, I can't th- believe I got that yeah I'm honestly surprised as well oh, you said Wookiee in the Clone Wars source book and I'm like it's gotta it's be terrible. one of three yeah. Zoli Krolik thank you so much Thank you so much for your submission. Anyone else's submission for the name that NPC or I literally kill you can send it to us. DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Do you have some trivia for us this week, Steven? You know, I, I was gonna, but it, it, I kind of found in my journey for trivia, I kind of found an anti-trivia. Okay. Yeah. I'm so I, I wanted to get like deets on like behind the scenes trivia for Rogue One just because Andor is coming up. I've had Rogue One. Online. Rogue One's back in theaters too. Oh, did they put it back in theaters? Uh, I think it depends on the location, but I've seen some people talking about it. Yeah. That's cool. That's what's worth going to and seeing again. I wanted to get some behind the scenes trivia for Rogue One. 
And did you know that they canceled all behind the scenes material for Rogue One like shortly before it was released? <laughs> well, there's your trivia. I like, guess. Like, yeah, there's awful. your trivia, folks. They they there was going to be like books and a, a short movie about the making of Rogue One. It, they, they canceled it all, probably due to those weird extensive reshoots that are that are shrouded probably, in mystery. Yeah. You ever um, look into those? I have not. There's a lot of conflicting, like, incidental information regarding those. That's so wild. But I'm not going to spread conspiracy theories and on the podcast. It's wild, because with, with Disney+, Plus, we've got, like, fucking three documentaries about Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, yeah. and fucking Kenobi. And like, we have nothing on Rogue One. Not a drop. <laughs> That's sad. If you worked on Rogue One... Oh, yeah, if you know... If, I, if someone listening to this show worked on any Star Wars material at all, like, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, cut to George Lucas. All right, honey, I'm going to listen to every Star Wars podcast that's out there. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's how he bides his time. <laughs> that's the only way. Only way to keep him powered. All right, well, uh, thank you so much for listening to Dark Times Podcast. The show is presented by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us, DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Patrons, anyone, any patrons that join from this point so when the poll ends, gets to vote in that poll. Oh yeah, if you join before the poll ends, you can vote in the poll. That's, you still that's get to how vote it goes. In the bounty, yeah. yeah. I prefer you read the stat blocks. Oh, definitely. Before Please you vote. do read over the stat blocks. <laughs> They're very good, and and each of the submitters did include a nice little bit about the stat block. So please go there we look go. at that. Isn't that nice? It's so nice. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your show. Stephen, do you have a quote for us this week? This is a rebellion. I rebel. <laughs> I don't like that line. Clear. Is that Cassie and Andor? No, that's that's Jin Urso. That's Jin Urso. I put that in the trailer. <laughs>